It's good to see each of you here this morning, worship with us, and uh, I'd like to introduce you to someone, uh, Dr. Bob Smith. You know his son, right? Bob, would you stand up? Uh, he's a professor down at Mid-Atlantic Christian University, and you've heard of that school. A number of graduates are, are members here, including myself, and uh, Doc, uh, John Maurice will be here in a couple of weeks. He's been here several times. Uh, Bob has a special reason, he and his wife, to be here today because his son, Riley, and daughter-in-law, Amber, sing in our worship team, and you've, uh, you've heard and seen them. So we welcome them here today. They've uh, been here a couple of times, and uh, it's good to see you. Uh, I told him that had I known he was coming, I would have deferred to him preaching today, so... Hopefully, when he comes back, we can, uh, we can oh, his wife says no. <laughs> You've been talking to my wife, haven't you? <laughs> uh, and it's good to see each of you today uh, as we come together to share Scripture, to share from the Word of God, and to share from our hearts. You never know who walks through the door who's sitting here, you never know exactly what's happening in somebody's heart and in their mind, whether they're thinking, I need something today, or man, let's get this over with. I understand that's why people come to the early service, to get it over with. (laughs) We used to do that until we had this little girl that likes to come and spend the nights with us, and we just can't make it to the early service. Uh, We're worn out, so we're glad to see you today. You know, everybody has a story. The last time that I preached, I told you that I would tell my story, and that's what I'm going to do today, but not for a while. Everyone has a story about their life. Some are exciting. One adventure after another, like King David, he was a shepherd boy. He was king-elect, he was a warrior, he was king, he was a philanderer, and he was a murderer, and he was a repentant sinner. Some become world explorers or world changers or notorious for the evil they've done or they've lived. But let's be honest, most of us live in relative obscurity known only to a few for a short time in history. Uh, The King James Version puts it like this, three score and ten. And if you don't know what that language means, it means 70. Uh, And I'm learning more about that my next birthday. That's what I'll hit is 70. But here's the great thing. When you know God... He knows your name. We're going to jump ahead in our study uh, from the book of Acts. Aaron has been preaching uh, through that, Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. But we're going to jump ahead today to Acts, the 8th chapter, and we're going to start with verse 26. Uh, It's going to be on the board for you. It's going to be in the English Standard Version, and there's a Bible 
maybe in front of you or close to you, underneath the seat in front, if you don't have one or if you have it on your phone or if you have a, a hard copy of Scripture, I'm going to be using the NIV. It's going to be uh, on the screen as the English standard. And we're going to look at this story of an unnamed Ethiopian government official who has a life-changing encounter with the God who knows His name. Will you pray with me? Father, as we get into this today, we'd ask, Father, with open hearts and minds that Your Spirit would speak to us from Scripture, from spoken word, from thoughts deep within our hearts and within our minds, and the decisions we make today may be life-changing decisions, Father, that you'd be right in the midst of that leading and guiding us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to start with verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. And it says here, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that leads, that goes down from Jerusalem to, to Gaza. Now, Philip, if you go back just a couple of chapters to chapter 6, he's one of the seven deacons that's been chosen to help the church in Jerusalem. There was a problem with the uh, Grecian widows not being taken care of as well as the Hebrew widows were, and the complaint uh, was aired, and so the apostles said, choose seven men. Stephen was the first in that list, and Philip was the second in the list. And he has taken the mission that was given to the apostles in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus told them, or to, they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, which was where they were, in Judea, and Samaria, and unto the utter parts of the world, or to the ends of the world. And so, Philip has taken this message, and if you look at the section just before this section, you'll find out that he's been up in Samaria, which was an area that the Jews did not like to travel into because these were their distant uh, cousins that they didn't like, and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. But Philip has gone there to preach, and while there, an angel of the Lord tells him to go to this road that leads down to Gaza. He's about 50 to 60 miles from this road. And the road goes southwest from Jerusalem to the seaport of Gaza. And we're familiar with that from modern-day Israel. It's prominent in the news from time to time. And so, he's only told to go to that road by the angel. Let's look at the next verse, 27. So, he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasure of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. 
And here we meet an Ethiopian official. He's called a eunuch, and that could be for two reasons. Uh, the word eunuch was used for court officials, or it could be someone who was emasculated, as was frequently done by the despotic rulers back then. He was a man of importance because he was in charge of the, the treasure or the treasury. And he's also a religious person because he's gone to Jerusalem to worship. There were Jews uh, in various parts of the world, and they were used because normally they were like this Ethiopian. Uh, they had talents and abilities that the government could use. Notice it doesn't give his name. Why? That's just the way the story reads. We don't know why we don't know his name, but as we told you, God knew his name and knows his name. Verse number 28, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Now, he's been to Jerusalem to worship, whether he took this book of Isaiah, probably was a scroll with him, or whether he purchased it or was given it there, regardless, he's now sitting in his chariot. He's got somebody driving for him, by the way, because, you know, it's illegal to read and drive at the same time. Verse 29, and the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Philip's walked out on this road. He's traveled 50 to 60 miles to be there, and at the same time, this Ethiopian government official has come from Jerusalem and has stopped very near to where Philip has come out on the road, intersecting. Uh, just coincidence. But the Spirit now tells him to go and join himself to the chariot. The Holy Spirit takes over. The angel's job is finished. And that's the way it happens sometimes. The Holy Spirit will speak to us, and it's up to us then to answer and act on what the Holy Spirit might speak to us. Now, I can't say that I've ever met an angel. Uh, we call our children little angels. Uh, some have the mistaken idea that when you die, you become an angel. Uh, I, I, that's a feel-good thing, but it just doesn't happen in Scripture. Uh, that's not what we learn about. Have we ever come in contact with angels? Well, I don't know. But my guess is that we probably have since they're interspersed through Scripture from time to time. And we know that God uses them. They're His messengers. Verse number 30. Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Now it's up to Philip. Isn't it interesting that neither the angel nor the Holy Spirit did what Philip did? 
They only started and gave direction, literally. And doesn't it amaze you that God has entrusted to us the preaching, the sharing, the talking about His Scripture and His message? Oh, I know if we had an angel here pictured like it is in the Scripture in flaming uh, white garb with eyes of fire carrying a, a sword, that would get our attention, wouldn't it? But God doesn't move like that because He uses individuals just like us. We talked about we're the relative unknowns, most of us. And God uses us. Philip recognized the passage that he was reading, and he asked a very important question. Do you understand what it is you're reading? Well, verse 31. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now, I don't know how much of Isaiah he had ever read before. My guess is that he had never read from the book of Isaiah before because he didn't have a clue what was going on. He knew that this book was written by Isaiah because Isaiah talks about that in the beginning, uh, that he's a prophet, a prophet of God. But when he comes to this pivotal chapter, he's already read the preceding verses here in in chapter 53. That's where it's going to come from. But he has questions. I don't understand this. I need someone to help me understand. And there's Philip, who's nearby the chariot and listening as he reads. And here's what he read in verse 32 and 33. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he opened, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now, I don't know how far down the road that this chariot had gotten. But Isaiah is a little more than three-quarters of the way through the book of Isaiah. And it has 66, not short chapters, but 66 fairly long chapters. And so he's gone a long way into the book of Isaiah to get to this part. In verse 34, uh, Before we move on to 34, notice all the coincidences here. And many of you could talk about the coincidences of your life and the things that have happened. That the coincidences that had to fall into place for this discussion that's going to take place in a moment. You had the road. You had the chariot. You had the book of Isaiah. He he wasn't reading Plato. He was reading the book of Isaiah. 
It was chapter 53. Philip listened to the voice and moved when he needed to move. 50, 60 miles to come out on the road at the exact time the chariot was stopped there. You think about that. Sometimes life is just a few moments or a few seconds uh, between disaster and living, isn't it? So here we have the pivotal question in verse 34. Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then the whole key to this uh, particular story is found in verse 35. And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, we're not given all the details. We're not told everything that he talked about, but he took this particular Scripture and these passages, the verses before and the verses after, And maybe he went to other Old Testament passages and shared with him about who Jesus was and that good news. And Philip shared the gospel much like Peter did on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now, if you notice in your scriptures, whatever you're looking at, Unless you're using the King James Version or another old version, verse 37 is not listed here. It may be listed in a footnote or may be gone completely. And the reason being is that verse 37 was not in the oldest and the best manuscripts uh, that have been found by archaeology. And so that's why it's listed that way. It's not that what's listed in that is untrue because it does seem to be true, at least what he says, whether he actually quoted those things or not. So we'll skip over verse 37. Go to 38. We missed 36, I'm sorry. Verse 36, and as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Now, for the eunuch to say those words, part of the message that Philip gave had to include baptism, did it not? And so, as he's talked about why and how someone would be baptized, as they wrote along in this, the Scripture talks about this being a deserted place. It doesn't mean it was a desert, it just means... It was unpopulated. And archaeology has found that along the way there were pools of water. And certain times of the year, uh, they're called, uh, and uh, here I am telling Dr. Bob, uh, who's been on archaeological studies in the Holy Land, he, he should come up here and tell us some of the archaeological things, but uh, they're called wadis. And there are areas where water would collect during the rainy season. John's baptism and early Christian baptism always carry, was carried out by immersion. 
And here's one of the verses that helps to prove the meaning of the Greek word for baptize, which is the word baptizo. And let's look down at verse number 38. And he, meaning Philip, gave orders to stop the chariot, or I'm sorry, the eunuch gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. You know, there would be no need for both the eunuch and Philip to go into a body of water if it was done by sprinkling or done by pouring. But if it was going to be done by immersion, which is the meaning of that Greek word that we have translated for the word baptize, that's what it would have to do. So here's a scripture that proves how that it was done. And then verse 39, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, was this a miraculous taking away, or was it like when Philip walked out on the road, and the Spirit said, go stand near the chariot that you see uh, up the road and on the road? Could be that. Verse 39, or verse 40, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Azotus, down near Gaza, if that's where they were, was only about 10 miles up another road that go, went by the seacoast north. And it says Philip then went on up to Caesarea, which was a number of miles further, preaching the gospel. His work was done here. And God led him to other areas uh, in need of the gospel. You know, every conversion story in the book of Acts includes, including this story about the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, has three elements. And I'll share the three elements with you quickly. The first is lost people. The crowd on the day of Pentecost was lost. The Ethiopian eunuch was lost. Saul of Tarsus was lost. The Philippian jailer was lost. Everyone in this room at one time or another was lost. And we are either lost or not, and we know the category that we're in. So just look around you. Lost people are everywhere. There are neighbors. There are co-workers. They ride the school bus with us. They're in our families. They're at our jobs. And so, this world is made up of lost people. And those of us that are Christians here today, that's who we were at one time. And so, every conversion story has lost people in it. A second element from this story is every conversion story has a human messenger. Look at all the conversion stories again in the book of Acts. Peter at the day of Pentecost. 
Philip here on the road to Gaza, Paul in the city of Philippi with Lydia and the Philippian jailer, even Saul's conversion, you think, okay, Saul on the road to Damascus, there were people there with him traveling and they didn't understand what was going on and even Saul didn't really know at first what was going on. There was no human agency, but what did the Lord tell Saul? He said, go to Damascus where he was headed, go into the city and it'll be told you what to do. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to Ananias and told him to go find Saul and to share the message with him. Now, I've thought about this over the years and about Saul. It says he prayed and fasted for three days. All the other instances in the book of Acts where somebody believes Fairly immediately they're baptized, except for Saul. Now, this is according to Bill McCracken, okay? Former President George Bondurant used to say, this is according to GWB. (laughs) I'm giving an opinion here. I think it took God three days to convince Ananias to go talk to Paul. Just my thought. So how trusting are God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to allow and expect us to take this message about Jesus to those that are lost? You Think about that. He has no other way but through the foolishness of preaching. Check out what Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 21, where it talks about the foolishness of preaching. We'll not, we'll not look and read that right now. But we also need to encourage our young men to strive to become preachers. And I do want you to turn to this, Romans chapter 10. And we're going to read this scripture. Romans chapter 10, starting with verse number 13. Verse 9 and 10 talks about us confessing that Jesus is Lord uh, with our mouth and believing in our heart that God's raised Him from the dead. Look what it says in verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Paul then says in 14, how then can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We need to encourage our young boys and our young men to be preachers of the gospel. From an early age. And the last lesson from this Ethiopian story, the last element is the Word of God is present either in written or spoken form. When the Holy Spirit is involved, He will never 
speak against what Scripture has to say. That's one of the ways we can test whether the Holy Spirit is really speaking to us or not. Is it exactly in line with what Scripture teaches? And if it isn't, then it's not from the Holy Spirit. God has given us a trustworthy series of histories, prophecies, and letters that we call the Bible. And these lead us to Jesus, His life, death, and resurrection. And that is the gospel, unchanging, trustworthy, and reliable, that leads us to salvation. You know, I I titled this story, or this sermon, this message today, My Story. But I've not told you my story, and I'd like to share that with you as we end today. I grew up through high school in a denominational church. My father had grown up in that church from a small boy and was a leader there. I was taught Scripture, especially the Old Testament. I was part of a catechism class that was to lead to church membership where uh, they taught that you had to believe certain creeds and rules to be a member. I was taught to be religious, but not really taught about Jesus. I started my search when I was about 12 years old and had joined the church as part of that catechism class. I had a hunger, but could never find the real answer to that hunger during my teenage years. During my senior year of high school, I was on the track team and had become good friends with one of my classmates. And one day during track practice, uh, a couple of adults showed up to meet our track team. They had been invited by my friend who was on the track team. One was his preacher and another was a preacher who was holding a youth revival that weekend. And They stood around and chatted with a number of us and they invited us to come uh, to this youth revival which was starting on, on Friday night. And we said, well, which night should we come? And they said, well... Uh, We're going to have refreshments on Saturday night. Well, guess which night a group of us decided to go. We went on Saturday night. And I will tell you, I heard a message about Jesus like I had never heard before. And after it was over, I didn't respond other than thinking, wow, that's, that's something that I want. We went and had our refreshments, and then everybody went home. And that night, I went home, and beside my bed, I knelt and prayed, and I wanted Jesus Christ in my life. But you know, I told God, I don't want to do it in front of people. I wanted to keep it private. The next day, I was drawn back to that same church on Sunday night. And when the invitation was given, because I again heard a message about Jesus that I had never heard before, and I went forward. Well, they asked me, they said, well, would you like to be baptized? And I said, well, I was baptized. And they said, oh, when was that? And I said, I don't remember. I was only about six months old, which told them, 
that I had been sprinkled as a baby. They said, well, would you like to be immersed? And I said, well, sure. I had no idea what immersion was. I had never seen anyone baptized. There was a a mother and daughter who were immersed before I was. And they sat and they shared some scriptures with me. And I was baptized that night. And I decided as we left there that I wanted to become a preacher, not just be a Christian. I didn't understand everything about baptism, but I began to study. I can tell you, I knew that I was lost. And he sent me several mentors in earthly form. Ron Bushek, who was preaching that night, who has since uh, died and gone to his reward. Doug Schof, who was my classmate. And Ray Bass, who was the preacher of the church there. They began to mentor me. And I remember after I left to go to Mid-Atlantic Christian University, I stopped one day going back through Pittsburgh And I called Ron Bushek. I hadn't seen him in in a couple of years. And I called him and I said, Ron, I just want you to know I'm in Bible college studying to be a preacher. And he said to me, Bill, I've been praying for you for two years ever since you became a Christian to hear words just like that. All three elements were there. I knew I was lost. He sent a preacher, and God's Word convicted me. That's my story. And my life's never been the same since. I want to close with uh, this illustration. A number of years ago, my wife Danette and I went to hear a Christian artist by the name of Phil Driscoll. Some of you older Christians may. He he plays the trumpet. Uh, He's been involved in music all his life. And he told a story. He said, after I became a Christian, I was traveling and in between flights, and I was in the airport in a restaurant, and I was eating something, and all of a sudden this woman comes up to me and she said, I think I know you. You're Phil Driscoll, aren't you? She said, I worked for you in one of your nightclubs as a bartender. And he looked at her and he said, no. That man's dead. And then went on to tell her what had happened to him and how he was a new creation, a new creature, a new person in Christ. And that's what I want to leave you with today. I don't know where you are. Ask if the, the praise team would, would come on to the front. I don't know where you are. I don't know many of you uh, what decisions you've made as a Christian or whether you've committed your life to Christ or not. The one thing that I lacked during my search was being baptized. 
and putting on Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit as the Scripture talks about and, and says. So we're going to just offer that time today for you to respond if it's to respond to give your life to Christ. If you have prayer needs as we do every Sunday, we're going to have some of our prayer team at the front and possibly some in the, in the rear. And if you have needs to, for us to be praying for you, we want to invite you to come to do that. And if you have the need to give your life, well, I, we know you have the need to give your life. If you will give your life to Christ today, to repent of your sins, confess His name, as Scripture says, to be buried with Him in baptism, to rise to walk in newness of life. Will you respond uh, as we stand together, as we sing? for my soul 